everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing. Very often, those writers have been recommended to me by previous guests of the show, unless it's a rejoinder episode, which this is. Garrett Strickland was on the show back in August of 2021 to talk about his book Ungula through Inside the Castle, and he's back now to talk about his book, multimedia project, etc., called Scrims through Cloak. Links to both of those projects will be in the show notes. Before we get into the show, let's talk about how you can support the show. You can do it on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. Sidebar, big thanks to Zach Smith for pointing out that I was putting the wrong link for the Patreon and all those show notes. It should be correct sometime in the near future now. Nevertheless, patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe is the link you can just type in because you heard me say it. paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe is a good place for a one-time donation, or you can buy my book. It's called Tired. If you have no money to give, either by necessity or desire, you can just give the show a appropriate rating on whatever place you're using to listen to it so long as that place has ratings. Or retweet the tweets, etc etc also big thanks to jesse hilson and last estate for the interview that he did of me last dot estate is a good place to go now without further ado let's get into my conversation with garrett the new project i suppose we can call it i'm i'm, I'm tempted to call it a book but that's, I don't know. That might make people. I think grumpy. it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's called Scrims. It's out now for free on Cloak. Uh, you download a zip file, you ex- uh, unzip the files, and there's 10 of them there. We've got some PNGs, we've got some MOVs, we got uh, an MP3, and a couple of PDFs. And, yeah. Um, Although you can. Uh... There's a suggested donation. You can you can donate whatever you want. Yes, so. do that. <laughs> Don't be like me. Do give them money. I'm on the I'm on the cloak Patreon. So I think yeah, I, I think that well. kicks to you guys, doesn't it? I think that's how that uh, works. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just kind of like that helps take care of the overhead for everything. Okay. We'll tell you what, listener, do both. <laughs> After you've gone over to my Patreon, go over to that one, and yes, there's a suggested donation. Um, so let's talk about how this project came about. Um, was it a multimedia thing from the start, or is this like you had writings lying around that you've decided to collect? Mm-hmm. Um, this is it's kind of a long road which and a weird one because i think probably in 2017 i'm i'm guessing because it was a while ago i went through and harvested phrases from two different texts um one is the book it then by danielle colabert french writer who she wasn't all that prolific and there's only been a few things that were translated into english um but 
that's a really important book to me. And then the other book was, well, it was a text uh, called People Walking Away by Roberto Bolaño, which is kind of like the uncut, extended version of what became his book Antwerp. Hmm. But it's, it's all in um, his collected poetry book, um, Unknown University. So that was kind of interesting because it's like Antwerp is presented as a short novel, but I mean, it reads like prose poetry. And like, so there was kind of, there was more there. Um, so I went through both of those and I wrote down phrases on pieces of paper then I cut them all up and folded them and I put them in a container on my like desk in my office. And they sat there for like no less than four years. <laughs> um, at some point I bought like a very particular bowl to put them in. Um, and then I, uh, dedicated time to drawing those phrases out as prompts and then writing text from those phrases. Hmm. Um, and then, so there's two sections of, of text. Uh, I mean, there's really four. So like there are two files that are, you're sort of seeing the prompts of those original phrases. Mm. And then you're sort of seeing um, the sequenced text that resulted from those prompts. But between the first iteration and the second iteration, there was like a randomization. Um, and then I re-sculpted re the text from that. Okay. So it's it's kind of strange because it was like this big uh, cauldron of potentiality that was just sitting around <laughs> for for a long time that I like knew I was going to use at some point, but I wasn't really sure in what context. Right. Um, so, and then just one day I was like, okay, like. You know, I, I had like another thing that I had in mind to do for Cloak and I was like, well, that's taking a little bit longer. So like, how about I do this? And um, and that's kind of what I initially presented was those two iterations. Mm, okay. Yeah. So uh, that was like, I don't know. One of the first things I, I picked up on was like, oh, okay. It's there's the red half and the blue half. Uh, um but that's that's very interesting to i i like the um the durational quality of it um in the last episode i talked to Kat Giordano about um her book that just came out which um was like very emotionally charged poetry she wrote back in like 2018 that she just kind of kept around and then decided to publish now and so they're like it's different right that's yeah. But it's the durational quality of writing is something that I um I I think um 
needs to have more uh, respect given to it. Maybe um, mm-hmm. I, I there's a story from a podcast I was listening to once. Uh, these these fantasy writers or science fiction SF people were talking about how they like went to some conference. Maybe it was even AWP. I don't know, and would like see one of their literary fiction writer friends who were like oh yeah you know i i think i've been working on this book for like five years and i think i'm almost done and and the sf people were like how does it take that long to write a book you plan for six (laughs) months and then you write the first book you send it to the publisher and you say hey i got nine more in the series what do you want (laughs) Um, and obviously two very different types of writing and and that you know at this level of of abstraction and experimentation and, and artfulness um we're in a whole different like universe it kind of seems sometimes um yeah but i like that idea that you know you just sort of waited till you were ready um even if that wasn't necessarily the intent yeah i just like needed to cohabitate with it like as an entity <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how it feels with a, with a lot of the stuff for me. It's like I spend a lot of time thinking about a project before I execute it most of the time, or it just takes that long to make happen. So, do you ever get uh, worried that you'll like, I don't know, forget? <laughs> or or like never get around to it or something because i'm i got a million ideas that are like on scraps of paper and in notes on my phone and stuff like that that i'm always kind of like you know i I feel the the urge to write uh so that i can finish whatever i'm doing to get to the thing i just thought of um and there's like an anxiety around that for me i don't know if that's something you feel or if you're more at peace with the way that things work for you yeah, I mean, I have like at least five other books planned and some, you know, and I'm always thinking about them and um, kind of shaping them in my imagination, even if I'm working on other stuff. But I mean, it's all kind of part of the same tapestry. And so I, I think that like there are things that I thought about as you know, like, oh, this could be a book or whatever. And then by the time I get around to like writing it down, it's just almost like it gets condensed to the thing where it's just like, well, I can just like talk about that idea as though it's an already existent thing, like in this like Borgesian kind of way. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, like you can just do an imaginary review of a book that doesn't exist and it's a short story and like that's the execution of that idea so it doesn't necessarily need to be you know like i i'm not much of a a maximalist in my thinking about things anyway so the fact that it kind of gets like boiled down and then like what feels essential about it sort of floats to the surface and then like can kind of be maybe embedded in another project or you know there's a kind of intertextuality or or something you know i think that there are ideas that are like nascently present in angula that like will get spun off into other things
things, you know, like if anybody's going to be paying <laughs> close enough mm-hmm. attention, they'll probably be able to like map those things eventually. But, you know, I don't know that they need to or that it's necessary or anything, you know, right. but it's kind of um, echoes that run back and forth through the things that you make. Yeah, that's something that we've talked about you know, off the air is continuities and, and portals in your work, uh, like within particular works and then between them. Um, and I think that's an interesting thing too. Um, it's sort of like a more, uh, abstracted version of what like Mike Klein does, right. Where it's like, all of my stuff is definitely in the same universe, Right, and he like mapped it out. Even he did do like, that one time, <laughs> and it was, it was you know about as helpful as as one might expect it to would have been. Yeah, that's kind of one thing that is. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day about how the idea of uh, like multiversal, multiversal thinking became a, a mainstream idea Mm -hmm. especially with like the marvel shit but like you know i mean i think that like you can point to all sorts of other like cultural touchstones where it's just kind of been like it stopped blowing people's mind as a a concept a while ago and then it's kind of it's helpful though i think part of it is that it's uh a way for people to dodge a sense of mortality <laughs> you know because they're like i'm I'm always also over there doing another thing mm-hmm. you know like no matter what happens to me here which is legitimate and i don't think that that's like not true or, or anything yeah but i just i think that that is maybe why it's become a more popular concept in the cultural imagination because it doesn't matter if you're secular or not you're just kind of like well science says that i'm everywhere all the time mm-hmm. so that's cool. <laughs> like I'm less stressed out now as a result. <laughs> yeah. Some, uh, somewhere out there, there's a universe where I've got everything together and I'm not worried about yeah. money and my it's back doesn't all, hurt. All of my books already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think too, there, there's a, I, I talk often, um, with the more poetic people on the show about how I had a professor one time who said that poetry is not a riddle to be solved. But I think that, and and I agree in, in so many places, but I do like looking at like your work um, and being like, yeah, I bet there's a riddle in there somewhere. Like I bet I could go full <laughs> ARG and like get like 10 people in a discord channel. And before you know it, some YouTuber will have a 45 minute video about like, you know, what's the real story of the, <laughs> yeah. of the Strickland what's verse. The end of scrims mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I like that. Like I, I think that within, um, like within working with media, um, it's, it's a way of engaging with the work longer um then just the time it takes to consume it and maybe like do a review right like 
treating it like it's a, a case for a detective to solve is um yeah just like gives gives more of it there um and i don't know like you can look back at like those weird tumblr fandom conspiracy theories like no 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 it was a fake sherlock episode (laughs) it wasn't the real finale the real finale is like hidden somewhere on some dark web url that you have to decode through the through the first couple episodes of the season um but yeah well i mean i think that there um You know, for example, I'm a big fan of of David Lynch, who famously doesn't like to uh, speak to the work because he says that the work, you know, does all the talking that, you know, uh, it would be limiting for him to nail anything down. But um, to this point, uh, I discovered in a very detective-like way um that uh so did you watch twin peaks the return Mm -hmm. so you know at the end he uh describes um the extreme negative force that became known as judy as jow day Mm -hmm. and jow day in chinese means explain so I love the idea that in David Lynch's universe that the like source of all evil is explanation, which, which charts, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. makes, makes sense for him. And, um, and then he already kind of gave us about us, like, you know, he's like, here's as close as I can get to, you know, explaining whatever this thing is that I'm talking about mm-hmm. within the of the series or or whatever but i mean i think that when you allow room for abstraction or i mean i love ambiguity you know yeah so and i think that it's important for people to be able to come to a work multiple times and based on wherever they are the room they're in, the time in their life, what they're going through, like to be able to get something totally different out of it. So I don't really want it to be this like one and done experience ever. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't enjoy experiencing art that way myself. So I'm not trying to make anything that would be like that. Yeah. Well, that, that makes sense. I, but I'm not trying to be dodgy either. I don't like, you know, when people are negatively defined that way, where they're just like, well, I hate this thing, so I'm going to do something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I think there's something to that. I think particularly, like, with the more abstract stuff, I don't like to try to even define it, like, within myself. Like if someone were to ask me what is scrims about, I'd say, I don't know, throw $3 yeah. at it and, and read it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't take you super long to get through it the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can go about your day and, and think about it and, and, and uh, come back to it later. Um, but I like how 
I'll like accidentally kind of figure something out when it comes to stuff like that. I was watching um, uh, the streaming service Shutter has a has a four part um, nonfiction show called Queer for Fear that goes through the history of queerness and horror films and stuff. And they in the lesbian episode they were talking about Mulholland Drive. And just like one of the one of the women there had this uh like queer theory reading of Mahalan Drive that like never would have thought of that myself. Um yeah. and so like, oh okay. So the next time I watch that movie, I can think about like that experience, that thing. Um, but it doesn't like solve Mahalan Drive for me, but it is like a very concrete reading of the film that yeah. makes sense within the logic of of the of the film um but like because i've sat with the not knowing um and like long periods of time in between uh, watching it and thinking about it and talking to anybody about it like uh it's still a sort of just ethereal thing for me yeah i mean the last time i watched that I had a really like a totally different experience of it than I had previously. And, um, I like, I wept like a child and it was just like, but it, it, it was, it was unique once again to like what I was going through and sort of the situation that I was in, but it's, um, you know, and I could speak to my own own take on it, but I think that with his stuff in particular, like the sort of uh, dis discontinuity that he works with, is to the benefit of the viewer as a participant. So, and I that's something that I really believe very strongly in, but that the reader or the viewer, you know, I don't want to say consumer of, of media because that seems so passive and one-sided. I actually think that, um, like if you were to say that you were absorbing the stuff that would also seem passive, but it's, it's actually a very active thing. You're like, you're doing a lot whenever you're experiencing something. And it is an experiential process and it helps create the thing. Like when I was watching the return for the first time, especially towards the end where things slow down a lot, I was like, I felt like what I was doing, like the attention that I was giving the film was like co-authoring what was happening you know yeah like i hope it's, you know don't fuck up and make <laughs> a mistake you know <laughs> otherwise everything's going to be ruined and i think that like you know that's a obviously you think about like well this is a production and you know it happened before you know but like if you really want to get down to it like there's really when you're absorbing 
and experiencing something, um, there's really nothing separating you from the thing. You know, it's like all of those like contrivances that you might think of, of like, oh, well, this had to be funded and then they filmed it there and then it like, you know, had to be like broadcast or whatever, like uh, detracts from the fact that like we're part of a unified neural network, <laughs> you know, and mm -hmm. there's screens don't really have screens in them, you know, like um, there's nothing like separating you from uh, what you're experiencing that way. You know, I was, there was a performance artist that I saw once who was talking about uh, Bill Gates. I don't know if we talked about this before, but he was, he was like, well, you know, why didn't Bill Gates call windows Gates? You know, mm -hmm. um, like, is it just like he, you know, maybe he was being humble or something, but also like the idea of a window is totally different from the idea of a gate, like, uh, a window separates you from the thing that you're looking at. It's a different kind of like cultural technique than a gate, which implies all of this presence, you know, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't filter anything out. Um, which probably he was like, well, if I call it Gates, like not only do I seem arrogant, <laughs> like I'm also like sort of inviting a kind of presence into the situation that like culturally maybe we don't want or something like that. But all of which is to say that like there isn't anything separating you most yeah. of the time. You're really present in like what you're looking at then you're you're as much there as the people who made it the person who made it or authored it um because you're fulfilling a, like a part of the like an open circuit yeah i i agree i think that um you know the film is happening when you're watching it like even though it's a completed thing um so I, like I agree kind of in that sense that like it's only it's only happening for you when when you're making it happen um and I think that um I've been thinking a lot about the the inside the castle tweet that goes out every now and again the the style is substance uh tweet mm -hmm. um how like you know the the most important part about some something like your work or something like a lot of the inside the castle stuff or um david lynch movies or like skin a rink or something like the most important part about it is like the act of um experiencing it um which makes it really hard to do a podcast about it <laughs> because i can't like um you know like i i bringing back my client like i i have this this problem where like i know what i feel but there's i do not have the language for it and you'd think after 
however long five years of doing the show i'd have i'd have figured out some sort of language um uh but i don't i i just some sometimes i just i can't quite figure out even exactly like what it is i'm doing which <laughs> which i think like you know for a, for a lot of the writers i think it's like a good thing but um as yes as a, as a person who's like <laughs> supposed to be um you know the arbiter of of some sort of information for a listener (laughs) i feel deficient and it's like yeah this book is good read it that's like all i that's all i got um (laughs) right yeah i mean trying to discover what to say (laughs) about the, the thing it can be you know but i i think as much um as the like object itself is uh essentially involves like not just me as the person who made it but whoever encounters it the same way you know i i just think that like you know talking about a thing is not separate from you know, the creative process of, of making something either, you know, I was doing some cultural research about this, this guy, Gordon Mata Clark, who, um, I guess he's most famous is making these architectural cuts in buildings where he would sort of cut out like facades and like the sort of core of a building in such a way that like, you know, light would play through it create this sort of environment but most of his work happened uh in buildings that were about to be torn down and stuff like that mm-hmm. so all you really have is the documentation of the work there are people who can attest to like having been there and walked through it and, like what that was like um but it seemed like a big part of his project that it was ephemeral and he was also very uh, inventive in the way that he talked about the work. So he didn't consider the talk as being, um, you know, promotion. Like he would discover ideas through talking through the ideas, you know, like, so they, they would get larger for him through the conversations that were being had. And to that extent, like this conversation is still an extension of scrims, you know, mm-hmm. it's just taking the scrim further. <laughs> but that said, I guess we haven't really like talked that much about like, right. what it actually is. But uh, look at what it's doing, what it calls trying, picking up the torn hide of its intentions. Uh, just like scrolling scrolling through one of the the bigger pdfs uh and that like popped out at me as i zoomed in close enough to to be able to read it and that seemed uh like the work is mocking me now <laughs> which, which i like i don't i don't know like because normally i i'd, I'd want to talk about like the construction right like um you know how did you decide to make the the pdfs kind of that 
size, those dimensions that like you'd have to zoom in. I suppose you can answer that question too. Like I'm, I'm kind well, of making fun actually, of myself. Yeah, yeah. That was, um, that was Correo. So oh, okay. I, I like, I liked, you know, he, he encountered the initial text and he was like, I kind of like see it. I like the idea of it being this big file that you have to like zoom in and, and scroll through. And, um, and that it's not necessarily even like you can make an argument for it being sequential, mm -hmm. but you don't have to encounter it that way, which I like that it's open ended that way too. And that felt, that felt smart to me you know <laughs> yeah so so i i think maybe uh i think one of the reasons why i didn't really ask about the construction that much is because after my conversation with with um with logan about rectum uh kind of just got the sense that that's probably going to be the case for all this cloak stuff is that uh mike has a really big hand in forming uh what people see uh, at the end of it which which is um i don't know i guess that's i guess that's pretty unique um in terms of like what the publisher does i'm not sure now i feel like my only um comparison i guess is like inside the castle but i think that a lot of that kind of like is more collaborative well, i don't know yeah well, I mean, John, John made a lot of design decisions for Angula, mm. but like the, my next Inside the Castle book that comes out in October, um, Correo is designing, right. and I'm in the midst of finishing that up right now. And like, it's so design heavy that I'm like trying to give him a six month runway, <laughs> you know, yeah. to put it together. Um, that said, you know, like, we'll see, but, uh, but that sort of relationship between like designer publisher and author or artist is, um, it's pretty liberating. I mean, you, it's not like if you didn't like a choice that got made, <laughs> like you wouldn't be able to veto it or something, but it's, it, you know, I think it's just that he thinks of stuff that you wouldn't, you know, which yeah. is cool. I think that there's too much pressure anymore that everybody has to do everything for themselves, you know, and like, uh, it sounds so like, like dumb to be like, Oh, it would be cool to like, have an agent or a publicist or something like that. But I mean, that wasn't that uncommon before, but at the same time, those are people who are just kind of like, one way of thinking about it is that that sort of specialization is adding a, a, a middleman that doesn't need to be there or something. And then the other side of it was, is like, well, that's not my thing. I don't know how to do that somebody else does so it would be nice to have them do you know um and i don't know shit about design i don't know how to use indesign or anything like that i don't even know i haven't used photoshop since i was like 18 years old so mm -hmm. i wouldn't be able to 
make a lot of these things happen. I can like stand over somebody's shoulder and like tell them to do something differently, but that's about it. So it's not going to get anywhere close to as beautiful as I want it to be without that kind of collaboration. So I'm really thankful that I am able to collaborate with people who know what they're doing that way and like have vision of how to do things differently because most people just kind of like follow the same templates. It seems like, you know? Yeah. I, I think that, um, that Mike's in a good position where it seems like he's doing quite a lot of that, right? Like, seems like he's kind of as far as i can tell like making his living designing books and, and whatnot and related activities um mm-hmm. which means that he's just doing it more than anybody else we know um and <laughs> yeah and and he's the, able to keep himself really well uh, to like pick up a lot real quick mm-hmm. through like tutorials and stuff like that which is like i don't know maybe it's just because i'm old <laughs> or like lack of that kind of like ambition of being able to sort of like learn new skill sets. But I, you know, I think that, you know, there's all that, like you can't teach an old dog new tricks thing. And I don't know that that's true, but like, it depends on how stubborn the dog is, I guess. Yeah. And, (laughs) and going back to what you were saying, it's nice to have a team. Like it's nice to, to know that, um, between you know the google doc and and the reader that there's going to be people who take care um to make the thing as good as it can be uh which i think kind of in this in this ecosystem we lack some of those people um for a variety of reasons Uh, i think it's easy to blame money but i think there's other reasons too and um yeah i don't know like team team building beyond community building you know like yeah have four good friends and and make <laughs> sure they all have different skills and, yeah and and make something beautiful together like anybody who's ever been in a band like knows how difficult it is to organize mm-hmm. collective time so um i never really blame people when they're like oh i don't you know have a lot of time for this especially like if it involves like working for free you know um but uh that's why it's good to find people who are just like naturally enthusiastic about the same stuff which can take a lot of time (laughs) yeah so yeah um so before before we finish up here then i i think um i i think what what do you want um someone to keep in mind uh when when they dig into scrims i think that more and more i'm interested in making work that you know and it, it's present in, you know, a book as much as it might be in like a multimedia thing where 
you're having a, like unmediated. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about mediation and it's funny because obviously it exists in media, it's multimedia or intermedia, but it should feel unmediated, you know? So there being a visual aspect, like an audio aspect, like if you're looking at a piece of visual art or you're hearing a song, you have a more direct kind of encounter with that, I think. And more and more, that's kind of like what I'm, what I'm getting at with any of the stuff that I'm making. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an effort to be present so much as I'm able to. So like with scrims, it kind of feels like I'm like embedded in the, in the membrane of mediation and kind of like trying to speak from inside that in-between space. And that would be the case no matter what, but I think in particular with like incorporating singing or, or any of that kind of thing, um, like increasingly incorporating visual art or having like audio components and, and things like that in the work that I make feels really important because I want people to have that kind of experience. Where it's like, you know, if you post text on like Instagram or something like that, like I feel like people like, uh, well, inside the castle, you know, like, well, John will post, you know, like, like looking at books instead of reading books as like an imperative. And, you know, I agree with that because, you know, like the thing should be beautiful. It should be fun to look at. It shouldn't feel like. You know, because if you post a page of something, then like I think the average person's reaction is just like, oh, now I've got work to do. <laughs> you know, like now I have to like read this thing instead of like have some sort of like immediate kind of encounter with it. They don't think of it as being immediate. They think of it as something else um, that you have to do. Yeah, like an investment. And then it's like, well, I'm not going to bother. Like too long didn't re uh, apply to like pretty much anything, you know, uh, especially on social media. I mean, if somebody buys a book, obviously they want to, hopefully they want to read it, you know, but, um, but I just think that there are all these other ways of using text or image or sound that, uh, like it's almost kind of more holistic or something, you know? Um, so I guess that's like how I would hope that somebody might encounter it. That said, there's no way of guaranteeing that. So like, you know, whatever works is fine. <laughs>